it's amazing. You know, we talked about the digital age and pre-cloud and even going way back. But even today, it's amazing to me how many of these risk programs and compliance programs are stood up on the back of email and spreadsheets. And there's just a much simpler way, a much better way, faster, easier, cost-effective, the whole nine Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Carrie Kleeman. Carrie's the Chief Revenue Officer at LogicGate. And in today's conversation, Carrie and I talk about risk, how to manage risk to help limit the barriers to closing more sales. Now, there are lots of types of risks that influence decisions on part of buyers. It's you know, vendor risk. Are they too small? Are they unproven technology? There's performance risk. You know, Can they live up to their commitments? Financial risk. But more and more, it also has to do with sort of systemic risk. You know, does the product create potential vulnerabilities for the buyer that can affect their entire business? You know, like information security and data security. So we dig into what Carrie and I dig into what sellers typically miss with risk and sales. And most importantly, talk about what the risks that are that you need to make sure you're addressing proactively and not waiting for the buyer to bring up because that's problematic if that happens. So all this and much, much more. Before you get to Carrie, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. Appreciate it. So this may be a first because your brother was previously a guest on this program. Uh, it's been several years since we've had him on, but Craig is somebody I've known for a while. So now I think this may be the first brother act we've had. Right on. Well, you ought to bring you ought to bring Craig back. He's always got very interesting things to say, and has uh, uh, got a great uh, body of work. And yeah. we have kind of moved in slightly different paths. But I've brought Craig and his uh, teams in to do consulting for a few of the companies I've led sales with over the years. So mm-hmm. that's worked out kind of nicely. He's never given well, me a discount, though. It bothers me a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean. Hey, brothers should support brothers, I think. Yeah, right? No, so, doubt, about it. no doubt about it. Okay, so your, your bio says you're an accomplished musician. So what instrument do you play? Well, my primary instrument is my voice, Andy. I'm, I'm a singer. But oh, you're I, a singer, okay. Yeah, but I, I also play the keyboard and kind of have fun with that. I'm a, a, a guitar, rhythm guitar player, but I would say that would be the order of the... <laughs> Um, of my preference uh, for, for the instruments. And we, we have a logic gate band that uh, I was going to ask. Yes. Yeah, we do. And it's just amazing how many people come out of the woodwork and, and say, yes, I've got, you know, X, Y, Z instrument in the closet collecting dust and I'd love to pull it out. And, right. And, and, and I've, we, we, we enjoy that. And I've done that at most of the companies I've worked with. Are you a musician? No. <laughs> Yeah, one of these people like a failed piano player from elementary school, but that's about it. Uh, I mean, I enjoy singing and you know, I did theater in high school and college, but uh, yeah, not popular music. Um, now, again, Bio says you're a Beatles fanatic. So what's your favorite Beatles song? Well, I got to go with Hey Jude. Um, mm-hmm. Just, you know, in the in the annals of rock and roll songs. It was a pioneering and cutting edge song by virtue of its length. Sure. No song, when it came out, no song of that length was ever 
played on the right. radio stations and, and it cut a new path as the Beatles did in so many other ways. But that's probably my favorite one. But it's a hard question to answer. Well, it is. And if you had to pick a less uh, popular or more obscure choice, what would it be? Yeah, that would be Rocky Raccoon, which is a nice Raccoon. little <laughs> On the White Album. Yep. Yeah, on the White Album. That's, that's right. That would be, be the one. In fact, if we have time, I'll play it for you before the interview's over. <laughs> you'll actually play the track or you'll yeah, play you know, it on I'll your keyboards? The, I'll pull the guitar out and, <laughs> and we'll go. There we go. I, I could probably, I think I remember the words. That was the uh, White Album is indelibly etched into my memory. So, yeah, yeah I was thinking about that myself. And, you know, what's my sort of favorite Beatles song, which is almost impossible to choose since all of them are so imprinted on me. Uh, yeah, I was seven when they came out, you know, first got popular. And uh, I remember the first, with our first album, came to the United States. My oldest brother had had major back surgery, so he was in bed for six months. And so, and he was in high school at the time. And we would um, sit on his bed and listen to the radio. And it was just, you know, Beatles on. On, on rotation over and over again. I want to hold your hand and she loves you. And yeah, from that point forward. For sure. Just, As a matter of fact, my brother Craig and I got, what started it for me was we both got um, albums, Beatles albums for Christmas as really young kids. And he got, it was, it was known as the red and blue album. Those were not albums. Yeah. Classic right. Movies, there were compilations, yeah. Compilations. And he got the red album, which was 62 to 66. And I right. got the blue album, which was 67 to 70. And he right. kind of went early Beatles, and I sort of went later Beatles. And, and uh, you know, that, that, that has stayed with me ever since. And, and my kids are now all beat, raving Beatles fans as well. So it's kind of fun. Well, that's good. That's good, as they should be. Okay, so we, we could turn this into a Beatle episode, but we'll... <laughs> We'll talk about sales. I mean, if, if somebody's listening and you're not a Beatles fan, you need to change that because that's you're missing a part of your education. Right on. All right. So um, let's talk. We're going to talk about risk in sales, and um, you know, I, I think in any situation in sales, all things being equal, buyers will gravitate toward the lower risk solution, right? So yeah. it sort of becomes our our job as sellers is how do we how do we mitigate risk, and that risk comes in various forms. So I'm sort of interested in, in diving into that in terms of what you see as sort of the various forms of risk. Because I know you in your job, sort of with LogicGate, you guys sort of deal with yeah, you know, sort of the data security, IT risk, um, though not exclusively for sure. Um, but I just want let's let's talk through the various levels of risk. I mean, I in my first book I'd put together sort of a chart that sort of showed various risk levels and what that meant in terms of of uh, who you should be speaking to within the organization. But there's certainly vendor risk. I mean, I spent most of my career. You've worked with startups. I worked with startups. Uh, I I was selling mission critical communication systems. Uh, vendor risk was a big part of it, right? Were we too small? Did we have the financial stability to support what we're trying to sell? Uh, maybe the technology was innovative and unproven. Yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 you know, now it's now it's amped up and magnified so much that we have to think about, you know, if they pass the smell test on being financially stable and 
you know, having enough traction as a business to be able to support me for the long haul. What about their processes for safeguarding my data if they're processing my my customer data? And, you know, the notion of third, the notion of my reputation um, is it's not just my reputation. It's the reputation of the third parties that I have relationships with. Right. As, as well. And so that's a, a growing use case for GRC tools that we sell at LogicGate and, and, and other GRC providers. That's the ability to give you a holistic view of your vendors' risks through ratings and assessment scoring and things like that, right? And so we have to, we have, we have to take that stuff ser- seriously, right? And, and customers aren't going to do business with us if they, if they think there is, you know, um, exposure or risk or sure. yeah, all that kind of stuff. Well, so explain to people, use the, the acronym GRC. So explain to people who may not be familiar what that means. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. Um, the idea of, of governance, risk, and compliance, that's the acronym GRC, mm-hmm. um, has been around for forever, actually. Didn't always have a name and didn't have a category with companies like ours selling a solution that's named a GRC platform, but it existed. You know, any policy or law or regulation or code of conduct or, you know, reporting that was required or business risk that was analyzed fit under this umbrella of a GRC framework. And before the dawn of the digital age, um, you know, companies were doing it, whether they called it GRC or not. And then, you know, around the time... Well, let's, before we get to the digital age, so let's break that down. So, you know, when companies are assessing the risk of a vendor, and any vendor, right? Let's take it even pre-digital or, you know, people are selling products that don't tie into your customer data or whatever, expose that to risk. What is a company evaluating a vendor on in terms of the governance and the risk? And, and certainly there are industries where there's compliance issues, for sure. Yeah, you bet. You bet. I mean, you know, that has escalated in terms of its enormity over time, right? Um, what the way people look at that, but you know, I, I think, you know, is this a credible, first of all, do their sellers tell the truth? You know, Uh um, is there honest and honesty and transparency? And I mean, at, at the basic human level, you know, is, is the, is the, is the conversation I'm having with somebody one where there is active listening going on and, credibility in the conversation, right. and those kinds of things, you know, uh, uh, I'm sure you would agree would be fundamental and foundational. And so they're going right. to evaluate the seller. They're going to evaluate the seller's manager. They're going to evaluate the product people behind product or service people behind right. the seller's statements and words. Right. Uh, do they, do they do what they do? They, does the product work? Does it work as advertised? Is it well supported and well documented? Those are all the things right. that are going to be assessed at, at, at foundational level. And, and I think this is something that's really interesting to, to dive into is that in many cases, I think what you're saying now too, especially with a product like yours, but even before this, you have to assume that companies are actually tracking this. This is not anecdotal information that, you know, hey, I'm going to talk to uh, – John, who is interfacing with the seller, and sort of ask what he feels, but it might be recorded. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is, or assessed or graded. I know you have grades. Is, 
you know, this is this is how we're evaluating these vendors on truthfulness, on product functionality, on uh, yeah, living up to commitments, all those things. Yeah, I think there's an endemic problem in that in that buyers are tired of sellers who don't listen and who really don't know what they're talking about, right? And so there's some of those things are table stakes, and mm. you know you got to have them, don't you? You, you know you got to be a oh. credible voice. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think that for me, it's I think sellers. Yes, they'd love to have somebody who knows what they're talking about. But I think more than that, they'd love to have someone who takes the time to really understand what the buyer is trying to say is the issue and what they're trying to do. And that perhaps is even more important than having the product knowledge because then they at least come back and say, okay, now we really understand the problem. Let me bring the resources to bear to, yeah. to help. And, you know, it's funny. I've, I've been at this for a while, um, you know, older than dirt at this point in time. And, and, well, and young dirt compared to me, but go ahead. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, even now we're trying to kind of retool and relearn the language um, and the mindset of thinking like a buyer rather than thinking like a seller. We've adopted a um, selling methodology known as command of the message, um, which is which is from an organization which I'm, I'm proud to partner with known as force management. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're doing some really nice things. But in this process, you know, we're learning that fundamentally buyers are disappointed with sellers because they don't listen Yes. And, they and they don't really understand the buyer's needs, right? They don't really yeah. understand the buyer's needs. And so fundamentally, that's good governance. I mean, as a, as a, as a sales leader, right. you know, I have a responsibility to govern my sales team in a way where they're trained up to be able to speak a language and be able to display and demonstrate those kinds of characteristics with buyers today. Yeah, well, I, the reason I'm smiling is is that you know, I like to use this this analogy or metaphor of – yeah, a sales manager is, let's say, the vice president of manufacturing for, let's say, a car company, right? And you know, when you look at yeah you know, the number of sellers that go into the field, that well, gosh, you know, a survey I just saw last week was that you know eighty three percent of buyers reporting receiving C level buyers reporting seeing no value in their conversations with sellers, right? So, you know, I'd look at that as a production person and say, well, look, you're producing products that have an 83% failure rate. Now, if you were manufacturing a product, you'd be fired long, long time ago. Yeah. And yet, you know, here we are in sales, we're talking about this in the, the issue of governance, is we tolerate organizations, and this comes from the top, Right. There's this tolerance that our sellers are going to be inefficient and unproductive in 80% of the conversations they have or perceived yeah. to be ineffective. It's like that's, that's a failure rate. That is. That is we, we, we have to tirelessly try to change that. You know, we, we do. We have to tirelessly try to change that. And you know, we have to differentiate as, as a sales organization – Holistic, yes. holistically by, by um, you know, proving that, proving that wrong. Right? Yeah, and it's like, yeah, we talk about, again, this is in the context of governance. It just sort of comes as, is, yeah, if you're a, a vendor, or excuse me, a buyer evaluating a seller, a vendor, not just the individual seller, that's a huge reflection on the company. 
Yeah. If if the people a in the absence of you know distinct product knowledge that relates directly to buyer, if they're not asking the right questions to drive to a point of understanding. And this is this to me is the big disconnect we have is that we train sellers to make operate on assumptions, right? Here's a persona, somebody you're going to talk to, they sort of have these needs, you're going to ask this list of questions typically, and if the answer sounds something like this, then we get it. And there's a huge gap between that point they're thinking they're get it and what the customer really is concerned about. Yeah, for sure. And there's that there's been an erosion of trust over time and 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 if I if I can, one of the things that a tool like tool like this does can um, uh, say you're a growing company, uh, SaaS company and banking or fintech or something, mm-hmm. and you've reached product market fit and you've got initial traction and now you want to expand globally. Right. Um, right. Sell your products and services in, in and across Europe and Asia. Right. Well, laws are changing and keeping up with the regulators is no easy task. Right. And you better know what regulation and law you need to comply with before you enter into those markets. And risk and compliance tools can can be a very, very tangible way to amalgamate the regulatory information, the laws, the documents, and the obligations specific to your market, specific to your product and services, services, and have that at your fingertips, and then you know be able to enter the enter those new markets with with confidence and and, and grow your business, and that that's a real tangible way that we sip our own champagne at Logicate because we're using mm-hmm. our products to help us understand regulation and law. Right. By, by market of the world and by geography of the world as we expand into international markets, which is right where we are on our journey. Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point, if, you, if you're if you dealing at all with customer data yeah. uh, and privacy concerns, then they're at the forefront these days. I mean, I'm interested, you know, in your experience with your customers, I mean, it's table stakes, basically, right? I mean, it... It almost seems like you have to have that under control before you even be concerned about vendor risk and technology risk and so on. Before you close a deal, you're going to have to go through, for most at least, you know, technology companies, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're going to have to go through a security review. You're going to have to go right. through a detailed root canal type stuff, you know, uh, where the customer, your end user customer is going to want to know that your security house because mm-hmm. you're going to be housing their customer data, maybe, right. maybe personal inform, in, information of their clients, uh, maybe secret sauce, right. um, you know, that your security house is in order. And, you know, things like SOC 2 compliance, I don't know if you're mm-hmm. familiar with that, but SOC 2 well, compliance. I, I am somewhat, but why don't you explain it to, to people listening? Because some people may know the buzzword, but not know, or the acronym, but not know exactly what it stands yeah, for. I mean, the short story on that is that you've got to prove that you've adopted the practices and the processes and have established the controls in place for you to safeguard somebody's data, right? So this right. stock to certification is table stakes. Right. And companies that don't have it are using tools like ours to amalgamate the information, bring in that information, identify the gaps and then prove with certifiable evidence to their end user customers that they are SOC 2 certified 
in their own right, thereby allowing their end-user right. end customer to check the box and then enter into a, a relationship with them. Right. So the SOC 2 certification, though, sort of like the ISO 9000, whatever, is there's oh. there are certified auditors that would come through, and and you have to go through this whole audit audit process to, to get certified in those five areas, security, availability, exactly. processing, integrity, confidentiality, and privacy. That's right. And, and those kinds of regu- regulations and, and um, requirements are table stakes and voluminous. They're ever-increasing. Federal government wants us, if we're going to sell our products and services to federal and state and local government, we mm-hmm. need to prove a certain security standard that has been uh, knighted by the, by the federal government known as FedRAMP, FedRAMP certification or authorization and right. uh, at my former company, um, prior to Logicate, we used a GRC tool as the repository to gather all the information in the documents that not only showed the gaps in people, process, and technology that we needed to mitigate or remediate in order mm-hmm. to become FedRAMP certifi- cer- uh, certified, but then allowed us to distribute that information for review and approval across the organization get our house in order, and then get FedRAMP certification. And we went on to sell a lot of software to the federal government as a result of that. Right. And so LogicGate then is what you're saying is, is what you're, it's basically a tool to track where you stand in relation to all these compliance requirements it internally. Is. And where the, to a pretty finite level in terms of who's responsible for what piece and how that builds up into the whole. Granular, finite, um, the entire landscape of risk in an organization um, can be tracked, monitored, reviewed, approved with dashboards and reports. So the C-suite, the board of directors, executives of the company and line of business managers can understand visually where risks are. And oh, by the way, we often think about managing risk in the context of mitigating it or eliminating it. What about risk in the context of taking on more risk? So we're now moving our, our platform into a phase where we're quantifying risk or speaking to risk in the language of dollars and cents, whereby mm-hmm. business decision makers may say, well, we're not really taking on enough risk in a certain area. We, we could afford to take on more risk. We use our product internally, uh, this notion of sipping your own champagne, to right. understand all of our contract o- obligations. Right. Where do we have limitations of liability, limita- limitation of liability that is a little bit outside of the bounds of what we're normally willing to accept? And how much of that over the life of our customer relationship are we willing to take on? We might flex a little more for a, right. for a strategic logo, right? That's just right. demanding, but you know, more than we normally would. But too many of those, then our risk equation is out of balance. And and we have that level of granularity on understanding risk ob- uh, obligations in contracts. And a tool like ours can be used for that. Yeah, well, I think that's a, a great perspective for sellers to have is that to understand that risk is bilateral. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not just the risk to the buyer, but it's the risk to the organization. For And I can think back to deals I've worked on in the past and running startup teams where, yeah, we were doing that all very manually <laughs> and uh, assessing, you know, your small company taking on a big contract, right? Where it was sort of a bet the farm if it went south, right? In terms of, of risks and 
So this way, what you're saying is, and this is, it gives you a tool to more simply analyze that from the perspective of, hey, it's not post facto after we've taken the deal, but when we're in the process of bidding on this, as we start putting a story together and start understanding what the risk elements are for us, is that we can make a decision, is this business worth taking? Yeah, for sure. A lot of our customers are coming to us to solve for um, understanding how they can get their products and services in compliance with law and regulation for mm-hmm. market expansion and, and, and growth. And it's, it's amazing. You know, we talked about the digital age and pre-cloud and even right. going way back. But even today, it's amazing to me how many of these risk programs and compliance programs are stood up on the back of email and, and, and spreadsheets, right? It's amazing to me. And there's just a much simpler way, a much better way, um, faster, easier, cost-effective, the whole nine yards. Well, I would think if they're trying to get SOC 2 certified that they need to progress beyond email and spreadsheets. Well, you'd be surprised, but a spreadsheet might be the thing that they're using right. to list out all the components of what it takes to become SOC 2 certified. And then, you know, and then sending emails and chasing cats and herding goats to try to get to people who have to do something around right. technology, people, or process in order to comply. And so it's just a rudimentary way. And we have a lot of greenfield opportunity, believe it or not, particularly with smaller organizations in the, in the SMB market segment, in the mid-market segment, for organizations that just aren't there on their journey yet, and they're using spreadsheets and email to get the job done. Yeah, or they've been dealing traditionally with clients that just haven't been as insistent on compliance exactly. with the standards. Yeah. And now as they're going up market, they're suddenly running into this barrier that, oh, now the customer's going to insist that we're SOC 2 compliant. Yeah, we're, we're uh, thinking that we're kind of positioned at the right place at the right time. Increased regulation, uh, increased focus on data privacy and data security, uh, increased focus on uh, code of conduct, on, uh, uh, on um, environmental health, mm-hmm. and, you know, just good governance is kind of the perfect storm for us. And, and the way we view our market is, is not unlike the way Salesforce subsumed Siebel as a better, more agile way to manage the customer relationship. We're sort mm-hmm. of akin to that. This market's been around for a little while, but not really with, you know, consumer-friendly mobile phone-style right. apps and no-code no code capabilities to enable it. And, uh, you know, it's evidenced in, our, in our, our metrics all being up and to the right as a, as a young company. Right. Well, I think one thing that, that, as I was thinking about this in preparation for our talk today, is that I think a lot of companies just don't uh, put the thought into really understanding the, the scope of risk, the various types of risk, right? And at your point these days, I mean, it could be someone wanted to know about your your HR policies, right? I mean, that's, yeah. I've I've run across that. Well, it's not uncommon, absolutely. Yeah, or um, well, HR policies, hiring policies, you know, uh, diversity. I mean, all these things that you think, well, that's that's our company business. That's not really germane to this conversation, you'd be surprised. I, I'm, I'm not surprised because um, we, we, we get those questions ourselves right. when we, we want to close deals with companies that demand that kind of rigor and right. 
And don't hesitate asking those kinds of questions. They just don't hesitate. No. And they, they might even, you know, impose um, change, right, um, in, in some of those standards that you deploy. Yeah, we've certainly absolutely. sped up on our journey um, around DEIB and other things as a, so, res- as a result of going up market into the enterprise. DEIB is? Diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Right. Um, in a, a high value for us. Um, we right. walk the walk and we care deeply and meaningfully about, about it. But, um, you know, we also have large enterprise grade, enterprise market seg- segment customers that, you know, can sort of command that we move fast in this arena or they're not going to do business for, with us, you know. Right. Well, so the point of bringing that up, though, is that you need to have a vision, a vision, you need to have an insight into what your situation is as an organization, right? Yeah. And be tracking these things and have in place a plan or a process to improve. And you need to be able to track what you're doing in that in the real time, be able to show and document to a prospective customer, right. this is what we're doing. Because oftentimes it's not, uh, have you achieved this goal? It's, it's what's your journey look like to that goal? I mean, even on things like quality standards, uh, you know, customers in the past I've dealt with where I didn't have to be at a certain spot, but I needed to show that I was moving toward compliance at a certain rate. No doubt. In our no business. GDPR, CCPA, and the you know data privacy standards are here, are here to stay. Um, I've read a statistic that half of the world's population will be dealing with data privacy in some form or another by next year or something like that, something crazy like that. We all we all have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you consider how many users Facebook has, right? At this point, right. Almost accounts for about half of the world's population. It seems like. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's not as as straightforward as as you think, right? I mean, there are certain levels of risk that sellers think about, but you really need to think about it more globally. Mm-hmm. And as an individual seller, you also need to be armed with that information going out. So what are you seeing with your clients in terms of how they educate their team so that it's not, oh, let me check that, right? Let me go back to the office and ask somebody about that, where the teams are. So you actually use a tool like Logicate for training up the team to say, okay, this is where we stand. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I, I think that um, today's landscape requires a seller to not only be able to not only be able to um, extol the virtues of their product and service in an effort to try to differentiate and and win business, but to be aware that the sales cycle will include deep uh, a deep dive on mm-hmm. security standards and compliance standards and regulation, and sellers need to need to maybe get that out up front, right? Exactly. That was, that was the point I was driving at. Yes, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I think it's get that out up front. I mean, we, we, um, we have a kind of a qualification criteria at the highest level is, is it real? Can we win it? And is it worth it? And, you know, if we can't get a firm answer, firm yes to all three of those questions, then we'll qualify ourselves out and, mm-hmm. and we'll move on. But a lot of that qualification effort up front is to know and understand what your end user customer is going to require of you in mm-hmm. advance of spending a lot of time, effort, and money on a, on a sales cycle, right? Right. So sellers today have to kind of 
get up to speed on SOC 2 and ISO 27001 and regulatory requirements and frameworks and content frameworks that end user customers require that, that we produce as evidence that they can trust us, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, it requires thinking, requires conversations. It requires getting familiar with acronym, acronyms and frameworks and it kind of learning a new language when you're selling because you're no longer in there just to talk about your feature, your function, and your benefit. You're there to talk about your product and you're there to talk about your product's ability to comply with their regulation and your ability to be a good third-party vendor of theirs, right? Because it's not only, you know, they're staking their reputation on you as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's that's risk, right? That's right. <laughs> that's, that's the vendor risk. But yeah, I think to that point is, is as a seller, you're better off surfacing these things up front because, A, especially if your house is, is in order, then what you've done is eliminated sort of the nagging doubt that would be at the back of the buyer's mind, which is, well, yeah, they're good, but if we get to the end of this road and you know they can't live up to all the compliance requirements we have, we've just wasted a lot of time. Yeah. And, yeah, if your house is in order, you've created a competitive advantage against those who perhaps aren't, who then mm. will say, well, we're going to leave this to the end, Whereas the buyers are already envisioning, well, okay, great. Based on what they provided me, we've got sir, we think we have that part handled. Now let's really get in and dig into the problem and so on. As you start building this vision of what success looks like using your product, there's not this open question as are we gonna get to the end of this road and have this issue with compliance? As we understand it, they're there. Now I can see a path to success. Yeah. We've got this, and, and, and clients come up with, you know, as much as we think we've uh, cornered the market on, you know, the primary or, or, or uh, most um, interesting use cases for risk and compliance, some of our customers come up with new ways to use the tool that we hadn't even thought of. And we're doing this really cool thing that's kind of like the Salesforce App Exchange. It's called the Risk Cloud Exchange, rcf.logicate.com. And it's a place where risk and compliance professionals and researchers and evaluators and, of course, buyers, potential buyers of, of, of our solutions can go to um, look at various applications, content, and frameworks and stimulate and, tra- and have training and education um, you know, and kind of a one-stop shop that not only includes the Logicate products and services, but includes applications that our customers have ginned up or built mm-hmm. that may may be available at for free or at no charge to to the Logicate to to the community, really an open right. community, and that's really cool. That's why I say I kind of go back to this: it's the perfect storm because regulation is on the increase, compliance is on the increase. Right. You know, data breaches and security breaches and incidents are almost not a matter of if, but a matter of when. when. And you better have your house in order for an incident response team and an incident response uh, readiness plan when it does happen because it's likely to happen. Yeah. Well, it happens to everyone. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. I think, yeah, like the thing we talked about before, I just stress for people as they're listening is that. Obviously, you want to spend time on this. If you're in the SaaS business, you're running into this. You know, every opportunity you have to have your house in order on on the compliance and security. But I don't see enough companies doing it. 
you know, looking out at the opportunities and assessing the risk of the ones they're they're taking on or they're selling to. And I think that's that is part of things. You know, for me, is very interesting as well. Is like, yeah, we used to do it manually, but it's every deal has some element of risk, right? And it's not like you're going to stop the process, but if you're analyzing your pipeline, and especially if you're a company, let's say, making a move up market and you're trying to land a whale or two. I think a lot of companies, and we've seen it, you know, startups get killed by getting the big customer or severely damaged. Is yeah, they didn't analyze their risk, and there's risk on every every opportunity. Is why not not just the risk of are they going to close or not? Understand the risk factors behind whether they're going to close or not. Oh, for sure. And are you going to end up building bespoke custom development work that that won't be scalable across right. the, the larger market? Yep. Um, you have to have discipline. We have, we as leaders have to have discipline to resist the temptation to, you know, the the, the notion of you know all money is good money is not really the case. Not all money is good money. So. No, all money is not the same. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, um, I mean, in the in the haste to get a logo, you might be tempted to cut corners. So a little more rigor is always always good. Uh, doesn't mean you won't take risks, for sure. but at least understand. The implications yeah. of the risks that you're taking. Understand what they are in the aggregate across yep. all of the risks in the business, right? Right. Um, in context, risk management. Um, we also have a um, kind of an interesting uh, dynamic, you know, for po- just policy management for organizations that are have an ongoing effort to create the policies for code of conduct. And mm-hmm. I remember in, uh, my prior company uh, was another Chicago startup. Um, and, and, but, and we had nice growth and a nice run and we were acquired, um, and the acquiring company, um, it was a great landing place for employees, for the product and for our customers and wonderful, wonderful thing. And one of the first things they did with, it was almost an aqua hire. They were Mm -hmm. hiring, not only acquiring the product, but but our people, but the first things they did was had us a test to all of the policies of the company. Right. And, uh, I remember, you know, getting an email from my, my new manager, who was the chief revenue officer for the acquirer. And right. he was like, Carrie, man, not a good look. You haven't gone in to attest all these policies, right? Right. And so <laughs> we're getting a lot of people that want to use our tool to help manage the creation of and the organization of and the attestation of all of those policies in, in, right. in the organization. Fact of life, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just in the last uh, year after my podcast was acquired by Ring DNA is, is, yeah, they're very good at, we've got these policies and we're doing these training and you have to pass these tests. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I've done more in the last year than I did in the previous uh, 40. So, uh, yeah, things are changing. Great way to be able to organize it and keep track of it all. Yeah. All right. Well, Carrie, appreciate you spending the time with us today. If people want to learn more about uh, LogicGate or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Best way is to go to logicgate.com. That's our our website. There are all kinds of wonderful ways to interact with us, uh, even without being contacted by a salesperson. So we want to meet them right where they are on evaluating what a product or service service like this can do. Um, also, carry.cleman at logicgate.com um, is my Perfect. email address. Yeah. Right, right. Excellent. And... Um Appreciate you coming. Say hi to your brother for me. I will. I will. <laughs> we'll 
It's really great to meet you. Sure appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Cheers, man. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. So grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank my guest, Carrie Kleeman, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or ever listen to podcasts. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.